Welcome to One Step, a podcast about the small steps in life's journey to healing and transformation. We'll be exploring the arc of change through life's deepest questions and most challenging moments, while also celebrating the small victories and having some fun. Because change doesn't happen overnight. It happens one step at a time. I'm your host, Ingrid Nilsson, and I've spent the last 10 years thinking that I have complete control over how my body looks and all of its natural functions, and now I'm realizing I really don't. And let me tell you, pooping your pants as a full-on adult a couple times is really going to drive that home, and yes, that has happened to me. Today, I'm talking to one of my favorite humans, Nitika Chopra. Nitika has been a leader in the wellness industry since 2010. She's also been living with a chronic illness, and through sharing her story, she helps people transform their lives. I think anyone who meets Nitika can immediately feel her radiant energy, and I'm so, so excited to have her here today. We'll be covering everything from navigating relationships with a chronic illness, body hair, loving yourself on hard days, and the difference between oversharing on Instagram and being truly vulnerable. Let's dive in. Well, hello, Nitika. Hi, Ingrid. Thanks for being here. I'm so thrilled. So you have been living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, and you made a decision to talk about it more publicly. What was that first step like, and why did you decide to go in that direction? Well, you know, I had always kind of had my conditions like on my about page kind of hidden, you know, and so you could see them there, um, but they were never at the forefront. And as you mentioned, I decided to go more public with it not too long ago because I just felt like I wasn't the only one, but when you're dealing with something like a chronic illness, it feels so isolating. And I felt like I had this opportunity to speak to as many people as I possibly could. And I also felt like I had this like obligation to kind of start talking to people who were dealing with their bodies in ways that aren't talked about. So, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like, okay, now's the time. It was terrifying, but it was was like something I really felt like I had to do. And what were you doing before that? So I was talking about self-love and I still talk about self-love, but I was talking a lot about beauty as an access point to self-love. And I always say, like, I'm the only beauty expert that doesn't know anything about beauty (laughs) because I didn't know much about beauty. I just happened to book a talk show that was, like, about beauty, and then I ended up on QVC, and I ended up always connecting with different beauty brands. And I liked beauty, but I was always trying to, like, get to the layers below, you know, the surface of beauty, and I know you know what that's like. And I just kept feeling like, there was only so much that I could do with the content that I was currently working on and that I had this whole world that was very personal and private to me that I probably would help people by sharing, but I was just, like, afraid at first, you know? Yeah, Yeah. it's always so interesting how the things we're most afraid of, the things that we're just like, this will never see the light (laughs) of day, are often the things that we need to be sharing the most when it's time. Yeah. Yeah. I find that anytime I have a conversation with somebody, I'm always like, what's the thing that you don't want to talk about, but that you're the most passionate about? And it's always, it's always the thing that they need to be telling everyone about. I think it's the thing that, you know, we've done probably the most work on. We've worked on our shame around that area. We've worked on embracing that area of our lives. But we also are afraid. It's like the most vulnerable thing that we could ever do, usually, which is like terrifying. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know you do. I know. Just thinking about like, ooh, let's go explore the dark corners. Mm." (laughs) Like, no thanks. Hard pass. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Hard pass. It's like I've spent my entire life trying to ignore those parts. Exactly. And you spend... You know, your relationships often, like, you try to, you're like, okay, this will be something that I unveil maybe on, like, month six once I've, like, figured out that they, like, really like me. I mean, Once I have them hooked. Yeah, once I have them hooked and they're not going to let go. You know, I mean, with psoriasis, it's a little hard to do that because it was, like, all over my body. But still, you know what I mean? There's so many things like that. And that's usually the thing when people find out that thing about you. They're just like, oh, you're a real human. Like, I have real human things. I 
went through something, maybe it's not the same condition or the same exact issue, but I had those exact same thoughts about the thing that I was dealing with. And it connects us and unifies us versus separates us, which is like so amazing and also terrifying. (laughs) So I really don't know that much about chronic illnesses. And because we are going to be talking about it a lot, I would love to know, and I think other people would like to know, what is psoriasis and what is psoriatic arthritis? Are there visible elements? Like, what does it feel like? What does it feel like to have these conditions? Yeah, well, so for chronic illnesses in just general, so the National Health Council states that a chronic illness is anything that has symptoms for more than three months. That's a lot of things, right? So like literally, you know, cancer, heart disease, diabetes. I mean, we all have people in our lives and in our families that have dealt with versions of these conditions. People typically don't put those conditions in this category, but it's actually is rampant. And that's part of why I'm so passionate about talking about it. Um, we need to get it out of the closet. And the National Health Council also says that 150 million people by 2020 will have a chronic illness in this country. Wow. It's insane. It's an overwhelming, I mean, overwhelming emotionally. Like, just hearing it, I feel overwhelmed. Because, why Why is that? Is yeah. it because more people are aware, or is it because there's actually a rise in That's chronic That's a good anything? question. You know, somebody asked me that the other day, and I was like, I would have, I mean, I haven't done, like, extensive data, scientific research on it, so I can't speak for everyone, but I would say it's a combination of both. I know that there's a rise in integrative doctors and functional medicine, which are basically doctors that work with both Eastern and Western practices. There's also just a rise of people talking about their health in a way that no one ever has before. A rise of the self-love conversation, too, is having people focus on what's going on with their bodies in a way that maybe they didn't feel empowered to before. So I think it's a combination of all of those things. But I do think that people are getting more sick. I think that's a huge, huge part of it. So yeah, so that's just kind of the overview of what a chronic illness is. It's really anything that's had symptoms for over four months. And with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, so they're both autoimmune conditions. And basically what that means is like your immune system is attacking itself, essentially. So your immune system is supposed to attack other things, but instead it's attacking your body. And for me, the way my immune, um, my autoimmune conditions were uh, created were in psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. And psoriasis for me was from the tip of my foot to the tip of my head. Um, I didn't have even, you know, an inch of clear skin for about 17 years of my life. And I'm 38 now, so that was like 11 years ago. Um, I think that's the right math, right? Yeah. Um, (laughs) So so, uh, for a long time. But yeah, and then I ended up getting psoriatic arthritis about like 10 years into that diagnosis. And so There's so many different forms of arthritis, actually, but for psoriatic arthritis and what it feels like in my body is it kind of feels like my bones are being crushed by, like, a truck or something. Like, that's, like, the type of pain. Every type of arthritis has different types of pain, but that's the kind of pain that I feel, so it feels like extreme pressure on Mm. your joints. And when I was around 25, that was kind of the – 24, 25 was, like, the height of, um, you know, how bad it had gotten – And my bones started to deform. So I have a lot of deformed bones um, throughout my body. And my doctor basically was like, if you don't do something about this, you're going to be unable to walk in like five years. So that was a huge turning point for me. But it shows up different ways for different people. I know a lot of people who have psoriasis and they get it in their scalp or like behind their ears or they get it on like just a couple of joints like their elbow, their knee. Um, And psoriatic arthritis, I know people who have just the arthritis, but they don't have the psoriasis, you know, so... It's, you know, <laughs> it just depends on the person. Bodies are such so fascinating, interesting <laughs> things. Yeah. They're insane. <laughs> like in the oh best my way. Gosh. In the best way. I mean, they're so powerful. And that's something that I had to kind of think about over the years is like as much as I felt like a victim for a long period of time with my health because I got it when I was 10. So I didn't have the tools um, for probably the first like 10 or 12 years after my diagnosis to even understand how to be empowered. Um, So I felt like a victim for a long time. And through the process of trying to figure out what it feels like to be empowered, I had to kind of be like, okay, like, I'm this powerful that my body created this intense discourse. Like, I'm actually powerful enough to see, like, what's on the other side of that. 
Um, and that was a huge journey for me too. Did it ever feel like because your body was attacking your body, did it feel like a betrayal? Like your body was not showing up for you in the way that a lot of us are told, like, this is how it should be. Yes. Yes. That's exactly how it feels. I'm like moved that you were able to say it that way because I feel like that's like for someone who has a chronic condition, that's the exact words that I would use. Um, It felt like, and that's why I tell people, I teach people about self-love because (laughs) I needed to learn it (laughs) and I still need to practice it every day, you know? So because at 10 years old, when I remember being in, you know, I'm Indian and I remember being in my home and my mom has beautiful, like soft Indian skin. And she's like, you know, she's like the most beautiful person on the planet, obviously, because she's my mom. Um, And she, I just remember looking at her skin and I would go home, I would come home from school and like lay next to her and literally like rub her arms and just be like, why isn't my skin like that? And that went on for decades, you know? Um, And it felt like it felt like there was something inherently just so wrong with me. And with psoriasis, it creates basically these scaly patches all for me all over my body. So they itch like chicken pox when you bleed that when you scratch them, they bleed Um, and they scale like like a fish would scale like it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And my whole body was like that for 17 years. So the levels of which I felt like th- this cannot be right. This, there must be something horrible about me. I failed that math test or I didn't do well in history or whatever. Like literally every single thing felt like, oh, my God, there's just everything is wrong about me. And I pretty much grew up feeling that until I worked on, you know, transformational work and started learning about life coaching and introspection and stuff like that. But that wasn't until I was in my early to mid-20s. And then I think I really kind of deepened that work really in my mid-30s. I feel like I kind of took it to another level. Oh, my gosh. I'm just (laughs) – I'm trying to sit with what the experience is like. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. What was it like when – you were younger and going through that. Did doctors tell you what was happening with your body? Did you have an idea what exactly was going on? Yes and no. I would say the yes part of it is my parents, I'm very blessed. Like they obviously, as you know, most parents would do, just tried to figure out what to do. So I saw a lot of doctors, a lot of healers, like Indians, you know, we oh, can yeah. pull a healer out of a hat. Like it was just like <laughs> the stories I have. It was insane. Okay. So, I mean, I have story. We could do a whole podcast on the weird stuff I oh, did. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know how we were talking about like moving into a new place and yes. like the rituals? Yes. My, that day, oh my, God. my mom sent me a text message and I need to tell you about it. Oh my God. I cannot wait to hear. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Talk okay. about rituals being pulled out of a hat you know you know (laughs) I know and so it was like I mean every auntie and uncle which is just like Mr. and Mrs. in India you know they would be like oh you need to try this and this needs to happen and please go to the Ayurvedic doctor and I went to the village and saw this I was like oh my god and I was like 10 you know so it was insane it was insane so yes I knew on that level of like just trying to fix it but what I realized probably uh, probably like 20 years into my diagnosis, I started I started going to therapy. I, I didn't actually know why I was going, but I felt like a sense of numbness. And there were some really actually exciting things happening in my life at that moment. And I couldn't feel any of them. And I, I was kind of like, I feel like I've seen this in a movie and this is not a good thing. <laughs> I feel like this is when like someone something needs to change. Like I really didn't know anything about therapy because in the Indian culture, we don't go to therapists, you know. And so I saw a therapist and I still work with her to this day. She's been transformational for me. And she was the one who helped me see how much I wasn't experiencing what was going on with my body. Because it was so traumatic that I just shut so much of myself down. And then on top of that, when you shut yourself down like that, whatever the trauma is, 
you start to act out in ways that are just not aligned with who you are at all, but they feel so real because you don't want to feel what's real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Totally. And she really was such a savior for me. And that's why I'm so passionate about telling people to go to therapy and like finding a sliding scale option if like income is an issue or anything. There's so many different options out there now because I didn't have the support and my family was not emotionally equipped to know how to even process those things with me. I'm so happy to hear that because I feel the same way about therapy. And especially now, there are so many different options and I think different access points too. Like there's even that app, which Mm -hmm. I don't think replaces in-person therapy, but it can be a really great starting point, especially for people who Mm -hmm. have had bad experiences with therapy or are just nervous in general. And it can feel really intimidating to walk into a room and to just know in the back of your mind, oh my God, am I going to spill everything (laughs) to this total stranger? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really, it's really important. And I think I think it is an act of self-love, you know, to be like, I love myself enough to figure this out, mm-hmm. you know. And I also think it's it's always so frustrating when a friend tries therapy and then they don't find someone that they like and then they just quit. Like you have to kind of date around a little to bit. Date a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's this new company um, that like matches you with a therapist, oh, and like I think it's called My Wellbeing. They basically go through this whole consultation with you, and they ask you about your income, like. Some people are like, I really want to work with a woman of color or, you know, I want to work with someone who's older than me and not my age and like just things like that. So you can basically pick the kind of therapist that you want. Um, And I've had I've heard people had some really great success with with services like that. Yeah, because finding a therapist is so personal and everybody wants something different. Like I just automatically assume because I like having a female therapist Mm. that everybody else wants a female therapist. And I know friends of mine who are women who are like, I actually prefer having a male therapist. And I'm just like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean? Plot twist. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's preferences are so different, even when it comes to age and I think for me, I recently went through a moment of like having to take a step back from judging Mm. um, because I was shopping around for a new therapist moving to New York. And I found myself being resistant to therapists who were younger than my last therapist. Mm. And I had to catch myself and say, it's okay. There's nothing wrong if this person is younger and you can't try to replicate that previous relationship. Like this is a different person. Yeah, and sometimes we're guided to new people that have those differences because they're meant to show us something that we would have never been able to see. Like I've actually, I've been working with my therapist for a while, but I've also stopped working with her at different points um, and, you know, just kind of been like, I think I need more of this right now. And she's like, great, go do your thing. And, you know, and then I always come back to her. But <laughs> and you're like, and I'm like, back. And I'm back. <laughs> she's like, deja vu. Nice to see you again. <laughs> you know, she knows she has me forever, basically. But even just now, I was just talking to a friend about this last night. I'm actually thinking about seeing a male therapist because that actually scares me. And I feel like I need to go towards that a little bit and mm-hmm. work on that. Um, and that's something I've never really worked on before. So ugh, I'll let you let know. Me, yeah, let me know how it goes because <laughs> I'm know. really curious yeah. about that because I've only ever been in a room with a woman Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah. I'd be curious to know yeah let you know so um when we were at your event at Universal Standard which by the way was an incredible event Nitika had this launch with paper grates and I saved my cup and get you more (laughs) I've been reusing it yes you can do that too yeah I've been reusing it but it's just so happy I love it That was the whole reason of creating the line because when I was going through all that stuff with my health, I really found that just beauty really lifted my vibration. And for me, beauty came in the form of like 
a beautiful journal or like making myself a tea in this beautiful mug or, you know, like I have a love wall in my apartment that just has pictures of all these people that I love and even having luxurious like bed linens and stuff like that, you know, and it's it is a luxury, right? I know that not everybody can afford to splurge and do all of that um, all the time, but I found that I would gather maybe one thing a month, right? So like in six months, I could have all the things that I really needed, but I love myself enough to be like, I deserve to have this thing that's really beautiful. And so I wanted to create a line that when people held it, they were like, oh my God, I just feel better, you know? And I feel like it does that. So thank yeah, you Yeah, it definitely that. does. <laughs> you achieved your goal. Thank you. And when we were there, yeah. I remember we were talking about body hair. Mm, and so mm. I'm wearing a dress today and it has a slit up the side. Mm, and so I, fe- I feel like my legs are <clears throat> really exposed. I'm working into exposing my hairy legs for summer. And, you know, we were talking about what it's like in romantic relationships, yeah. specifically with body hair. But it got me thinking about what has it been like for you having a chronic illness and yeah. also navigating romantic relationships because every single person I know, including yeah. myself, has had a partner or someone that they're dating who has said something about their body that didn't make them feel good. And this could be somebody that was just a total jerk. Mm-hmm. And it could also be someone that they're in a long-term relationship with and they very much love. Mm -hmm. So what has that world been like for you? Yeah, it's really funny because just as you're talking, I was like, this is weird. I am usually nervous about telling people about my psoriasis, especially like if you can't see it, like if I'm not flaring up like it is now. But I'm more ashamed of the body hair thing. And it's really interesting now that we're talking about it. I'm like... This is really weird. Like, I don't even know. I was actually, I've been talking to friends about it more, actually, since you and I have spoken about it. And I was at a friend's place over the weekend and we were swimming. I like literally went over across the pool and petted her leg. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) you're white. How does this work? My coarse Indian hair does not feel the same. She goes, what are you doing? (laughs) It's just like, I just want to know. Like I shaved yesterday and like I have a little bit of stubble, but like I have a lot of hair and it's, it's more coarse, you know, than it is fine. And I was just like, I just have these visions of like, there were probably two incidents that I remember with different guys. You know, and one of them was so innocent, like not trying to be a jerk. But I remember I like brushed up against his leg or something. I was wearing leggings and I guess the leg hair was like really popping. <laughs> and so, and so like, we're here. Yeah, we're, we're here. We're fully here. And we were just like going to get dinner or something. It wasn't even like super romantic or intimate or anything. But he like brushed up against my leg and he was like, oh, a little stubbly or something like that. I swear to God, I've never forgotten that moment. I think that was like 15 years ago. <laughs> but it was hard. Like, there was shame in that moment, you know, and he wasn't even trying to be so horrible, but it really affected me. And then there was a guy that I dated who was just an asshole. And he was someone I dated a couple of years ago. Yeah, he would just always kind of comment on it. And I don't even remember exactly what he would say, but it was just like, I, it made me hyper aware of my leg hair. You know, I'm working through that. That's something in my self-love practice that I'm trying to figure out, like, how to let go. Because my friend actually this weekend was like, yeah, just like the patriarchy wants you to, like, not speak up and, you know, wear certain clothes and be a damsel in distress. And, like, she's, like, all about busting the patriarchy. And, um, and you know, shave your legs. She's like, just like you learned how to speak up and use your voice and not care so much, like what people tell you you can and cannot say. She's like, it's the same thing with your body hair. That is the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, it really is, especially when you look at the history of mm. body hair removal yes. and how so much of it is associated with class. There's also written work by men that talks about how disgusting it is essentially if women have body hair. Mm. And I think all these things over the course of centuries just gets embedded Mm -hmm. into us. And I feel like the more that I have intentionally chosen to look at images of people in general Mm -hmm. who are hairy, specifically women Mm -hmm. who have body hair in different areas, different growth patterns, 
I've it's become normalized for me because it seemed so abnormal before and just watching hair grow out of my armpits Mm -hmm. or on my arms or on my legs Mm -hmm. anywhere on my body that was like below (laughs) my eyes I was like this is weird and it's not normal and it's gross and it means that I'm lazy and Mm -hmm. dirty and the more that I've seen images and also real people just Mm -hmm. out in the world with like hair yeah It's made me realize, oh, okay, this is an experience for so many people. And so many people are also growing hair. Yeah. I think hair for women in general is really complicated because for us, it's like we're afraid about showing our body hair and the patriarchy expects us to be like hairless and smooth. But then there are people who um, have conditions Mm -hmm. who may be losing their hair or not growing hair. And the patriarchy looks at that in a negative way. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you don't have hair in the right places. Again, it's that like you need to fit into this very, very narrow, just confined space, which is so incredibly suffocating. It's unreasonable. Yeah. It it's really completely is. unreasonable. I mean, when you say it that way, it, it's true. I was telling you at my event that day, I was just like, I literally started thinking about this. And then I was like, what does Ingrid have to say about this? Because I, I, I have a lot of things. Yeah, do a lot, of, which I'm so grateful for, because I don't feel like I know a lot of people that I relate to that are talking about this in this way. I think it's super important. And, you know, even for me growing up, like I couldn't shave my legs and everything with my psoriasis everywhere. So there was like so many times when I just felt it was a lot. So there's a lot of shame around it that I hope we can help people uncover and get more comfortable with. Yeah, Yeah, I hope so too. I think honestly for me, the more people I just see on the internet Mm -hmm. and in real life with like hairy armpits just wearing a tank top. Mm-hmm. and live in their lives, I'm just like, they're my inspiration. Yeah, <laughs> It makes me feel okay yeah. about what my body is doing. Just seeing someone else like at the farmer's market going about their lives yeah. with like some hair underneath their arms. Yeah, it's interesting. I was watching that show Easy last night. I haven't seen show? it. It's really interesting. It's on Netflix. It's all about sex, but in so many different ways. And there's this one lesbian couple, and this one of the women was basically doing a burlesque show, and she was, like, owning her body and learning how to do burlesque. And she was so passionate about it and loved it so much. And when she did her full performance, I remember thinking, oh, she doesn't shave her arms. I wonder if she would, like do the performance without like with her you know underarm hair and she she did and I was just like oh my god that is so freaking cool like I saw that and I was just like that is the opposite of what we have all been told like in my conservative Indian upbringing I thought to myself well she has to shave her underarm she can't go up in front of all these but you know it's like mm-hmm. another person even saying that it's not even what I Nitika think yeah And when she did that, I agree. Like, it was this feeling of, like, oh, okay, I'm okay. I'm okay. We're going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we're all going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah, it was really beautiful. You have to check it out. So, you know, living with a chronic illness, you mentioned earlier that sometimes it can be visible and other times it can be invisible. Yeah. Um, Are there any unseen steps that you have had to take to take care of yourself, to live the life that you want to be living? I think about this. There are so many people in the world who have obstacles in Mm -hmm. front of them. And there are so many things that we typically don't see when people become successful. We don't see those obstacles that they had to go through, especially the ones that were just kind of like happening on a daily basis that you may not even be aware of. So has there been that unseen work for you? Yes, so much of it. And um, I think it's a really important conversation because invisible illness, you know, although psoriasis when it's active is obviously very visible. But I remember with my arthritis, like I live in New York City, just like you and and I would be on the train and my bones would be hurting so bad, but I didn't look sick to anyone. Um, and so I wouldn't be able to like get a seat, you know, like as if someone who was maybe with a cane or 
somebody who was even pregnant, you know, and, and people can see like there's something going on with their body. So that was always really hard. And the other thing, which I mean, maybe is kind of intense, but it's the truth is that when I started working in therapy, I learned that there was a lot of PTSD from being sick. And I think that is kind of the bigger, you know, unseen thing that people don't know about. So what I mean by that is, you know, when I would go to sleep at night, I would scratch. It's the one time in my day I couldn't control my itching. So I would scratch myself so bad that my sheets would be so bloody in the morning when I woke up. And that would make sleepovers and making friends really hard. I also, you know, would scratch through my jeans in the middle of school and have issues like that. There were also, because it's such an inflammation, <clears throat> it's a condition based on inflammation, it would feel like I had a fever all the time. So I would go to the nurse a lot and I would be like, am I sick? Am I dying? <laughs> like, what's happening? But people weren't educated as much about the inflammatory responses that are happening in our body as they are now. So I would just think that, like, I was crazy and not understand. And there's things, like, so that are so simple, like the clothes that I wore. Like I never wore dark clothing for probably like 20 years of my life. Like I just, because of the flaking that would happen, it was ridiculous. And like sitting on a dark chair for at least the first like five years of my, you know, getting better, I still had so much anxiety around wearing dark clothing, being, you know, on dark spaces, hoping that I didn't leave behind like flakiness or anything. And it was all the time. And then even little things like taking a shower used to really hurt um, and washing the dishes or like things like that that just people don't understand. When you have a chronic condition, the word chronic is there for a reason. Like it's rampant. And and it's really permeating through every single breath you take, even if you don't want it to be, right? Like I'm a positive person. I always tried to be really positive, and but it's everywhere. And so I, I don't take the times that I have now for granted at all because I know every time I wash the dishes, like I'm aware that like, oh, I couldn't do this really at all for a long time or every time I take a step and walk to the subway I'm like oh my god there were years where I couldn't walk down the stairs like this is crazy you know there's when you have a chronic condition I, and I think I encourage people to like reach out to their friends or their loved ones that have chronic conditions and like learn like what are some of the things you have to do every day you know because when you have something like this you just kind of do it I mean and I think that's true for most people right you have that thing you're just kind of working through and you're like whether it's grief or you know something that you're dealing with financially or a stress that you have in your life you're just kind of like okay this is my life I gotta go I gotta get through it I gotta get through it I gotta get you know move on to the next thing and I think that with chronic illness it's it's very similar you just gotta kind of figure out how to get to be okay but it's really important to check in on the people that you know that might be dealing with that was it hard for you to accept help from other people because I've noticed that with a lot of women especially mm -hmm. it's really hard one to acknowledge that hey I need help and two then to accept that yeah. help because it's almost like this instinct to just be like no it's okay I can figure out how to do it I definitely do that I definitely have had to like train myself to accept help but the other element is, and I've, I've written blogs about this, where it's like what to do when people can't show up for you. And I think like I, I talk about grief a lot because I, I think there's an intensity that can be similar where people don't know what to say and they also don't want to be with their own grief and they don't want to be with their own physical pain. That it's like I can't be with yours if I'm not even willing to be with mine. There's no way I'm going over there. I now have a lot of compassion for that, and I've learned because I'm I'm 38 now, so I've had to really work through those cycles with friendships. But I've gone through a lot of you know realizing. But like we hang out every day. How come when I'm in bed for two weeks because I had a cyst because I've got a reaction to something or whatever? Like you're nowhere to be found. It really took me a long time to accept people for where they're at and just know like okay, this isn't a a chronic. A chronic friend. This is not a chronic friend. You know, this is a friend that maybe adds light into my life or joy or laughter. But I have very few people and friends in my life that I know, like, I know exactly who I would call right now if I was going through a really bad flare up. And I know that they would be over with what I needed and all of those things. But it took a long time to figure that out. And then accepting it, like you're saying, as a woman is also just another part of it. I've had friends get mad at me for that. Like I'll talk to a good friend and I'll be like, oh yeah, last week, like I couldn't walk for like a few days. And my friend's like, um, hello, <laughs> like, you tell me everything. And like, literally you didn't tell me that. I was like, yeah, I'm just used to dealing with it on my own. 
you know. And so that's been kind of nice to have friends be like, no, we actually want to know. Um, but I think that's a really, you know, that's a process of like, how do you meet those people? How do you connect with those people that actually want to be a part of that part of your life? Totally. And yeah. I love how you connected that with grief, too, because yeah. I do think it is really similar. Um, my dad died when I was a teenager and yeah. I totally had that resentment towards other people. Like, why were you not around when like I needed help. Yeah. And now as an adult, I'm able to look back on especially the people who were my age and realize they didn't know what the hell to do. Like they yeah. had never been around anything like this. Like none of them had had anyone in their families die or anyone mm. close to them die. And so this was like a very big, scary, unknown thing to them. And yeah. to put that expectation on them, it's not something that I could just immediately expect. And it took yeah. a long time to unravel that and let go of the resentment and yeah. then learn how to accept help later on in life. Yeah, so powerful. And I'm sure like just being with you and your grief would just make them have to think about the possibility of their own lives and like yeah. all of that. And it's hard. Yeah. And how literally everyone will die. Mm -hmm. And if you live long enough, someone that you love mm -hmm. is going to die. Yeah. And I think that's hard for people to sit with, especially when you're that young too at that age where like everything's about me mm -hmm. like everything is just centered on the all capital letters me yeah and also like no one dies yeah like that like, you just don't even think about that I feel like now in my 30s I think about death a lot but it took a while for that to kind of enter my orbit of being like okay this is something that like is going to happen to all of us and we need to you know i need to figure out how i feel about it i need to process it now if i can and yeah i just don't think that that ever occurred to me at that age and i could totally imagine that being really hard yeah i mean it's almost just like it's so far away yeah. it's not even going to happen like i don't need to think it's about fine. this <laughs> i mean you're like not really even thinking significantly into the future, like the next week, really. It's, it's like, what are you doing with your friends like in the next few days? But it's not like you're thinking about and like I'm thinking about death and here's how I'm going to deal with it and all of these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could imagine that being really isolating. Yeah. Yeah. So we both have been in the beauty industry. We both really love beauty. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the more you spend time with beauty and especially working in the industry, I think you start recognizing that it can be a source of so much self-loathing for people. Mm. I personally love the beauty industry because of all of its complexities um, and because I would like to see it get to a better place. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you have said that you think beauty is a really great access point mm -hmm. to self-love. So how do you see it as that conduit to self-love as opposed to the self-loathing? Because I think the more time that you spend in the space, you, your eyes just you can't unsee all of the negative stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's such a fair point. I think for me, there's a couple points to this. Like, first of all, I just always thought of beauty and skincare as a means to an end. I never, I was like, okay, slap some Vaseline on my like flaky skin and just like walk out the door. Like that was it. And I didn't know anything about beauty growing up. And then, um, you know, over time I started to realize that there was a nourishment that I got from beauty. And I think that's really what I mean for me. It's mostly like skincare and finding like oils and lotions and potions and things that like I really connect to and respond to and just kind of like we were talking about the product conversation earlier that you know when I hold or and I put on like a lavender shea butter damn <laughs> it's just like I can tell that's a special just, space for you <laughs> really like seeps into my pores in a very special way and I just feel like 
I don't know. There's this thing where I feel like I'm nourishing my skin and I feel like I'm nourishing myself. It's a process of self-love for me because, you know, you can tell me, oh, my God, I love this product. I thought this was great. Like, this is my favorite. And I can try it. And my skin's totally different. And then I'll say, like, oh, you know, that was cool. But, like, it didn't actually make me feel, like, top of the world or whatever. And it's my job to go out and be like, what makes me feel great? You know, what makes me feel beautiful? And so I think that's what I saw as the opportunity around beauty. I also feel like I've never really felt like I fit into norms, like in terms of external norms and cultural stuff on Instagram and in the media. I've never, I mean, just now I'm seeing some Indian girls in the media, but like I never saw that growing up. So I think that there was a part of me that felt the negativity around, like, I wanted my name to be Tiffany for a long time. <laughs> I know. That was that was the name for a while. Yeah, really? Okay. It wasn't just me? Okay. Yeah, well, there I... were multiple <laughs> Tiffany's around me growing up, like, consistently. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. It totally. And I wanted to be, I wanted to have, you know, blue eyes and blonde hair. And I even got green contacts at one point, And, like, it was a whole thing. But, you know, for the most part, I kind of, I guess I compartmentalized in some ways because I was just kind of like, well, I'm never going to be Tiffany. So, you know, and I don't see me anywhere. So I'm just going to kind of go inward and figure out what's best for me. And that's what I think, you know, even when I was on QVC or working with different brands, I felt like it was never really about the product for me. There are some amazing products and that's half of it. But the other half of it is when I'm in the mirror and I'm looking at myself, what am I saying in the mirror? And there are lots of moments when I am not saying such kind things. And I'll go through phases of that, you know, and I'll and I'll start to notice it. I'll start to notice I get a little depressed or it starts to emotionally wear on me. And then it's my job to be like, okay, when I get to my mirror tonight, when I'm doing my, you know, 20 minute beauty routine <laughs> that I do for fun, um, you know, let me see what else I can say about myself. And some, and it's a muscle, you know, sometimes I have to be like, I don't feel great about these things right now, but you know what? I'm going to choose maybe not physical things. What are some emotional things I can say? You know what? I know I'm a great friend. I know I'm a hard worker. Great. Let's start there. Let's be simple about it and then work ourselves up to you know, the next level. Um, I always say my definition of self-love is being more committed to your happiness than to your suffering in every single moment. And to me, it's that simple and it's that complicated. Right. Because in every moment we have to choose to love ourselves over and over again. And when I was lying in bed and I, I didn't really have a lot of happiness around me, I still had that choice. You know, we still have that choice in like the depths of our darkness. And so that's why I kind of created that definition, because I was just like, this is such an esoteric thing. People are always like, what the hell is it? And how do you do it? It's in every moment. So for me, beauty is is that. It's just another way that I can say, like even before I left the house today, I like put some lotion on my hands and it, it kind of wasn't really about the moisturizing. It was more about like I'm going to ground myself and I'm going to put a little essential oil on and kind of lift my vibe and, you know, feel good. And I posted something on Instagram this morning, actually, and someone made a mean comment. And what did they say? <laughs> I mean, do you want to repeat it? I mean, it's it's fine. But it was interesting that I was coming to see you because I was just like, I wonder what Ingrid would do. Um, and it's, it hasn't really happened to me that much. But I, I was in a swimsuit campaign for this um, company, Somersault. And it was a really big deal for me because of my psoriasis and like everything. And I'm not in bathing suits often. That's like not my vibe. Um, and yeah, and they asked me to be in their like beach bodies campaign. It's like everybody is a beach body, which I loved, but felt very vulnerable because my weight fluctuates a lot with as like a part of autoimmune stuff. Like there's hormone stuff and vitamin stuff and whatever. So I was like nervous about it, you know. And then, yeah, this guy was like, you need to go to the gym. Rude. Shut up. I know. Oh my God. I know. It was so hard. And I was just like, this is so, I didn't cry, although I wanted to, but I had to put my makeup on. So I like couldn't really get it out. Um, but I, I didn't cry, but I was just kind of like, this is interesting to just witness. Like there's like so many people who are saying the exact opposite. And it's not really about the people who are even praising you. It's about that work on the inside, mm -hmm. you know? And I was like, this is hurting because there's a part of me that feels 
vulnerable around how my weight and my body changes all the time. You know, so when I say that definition of self-love, I'm just like, it's in every moment. It's when I'm walking here. It's, you know, when I leave here and I go feed myself something and I choose to nourish my body instead of destroy it. It's, you know, in the people that I surround myself with. But beauty is a part of that for me. I love that. I think that's my favorite definition of self-love ever. Thank I you. really love that. Thank Choosing you. your own happiness over suffering. Yeah, being more committed to your happiness than to your suffering in every single moment. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, I think that while I am definitely the first person who will volunteer to jump into any conversation that is about like the underbelly of the beauty industry, I am also the first person that will jump up and defend the beauty industry as well. And it's because of things like that. Yeah. I think that there really is this intimate side to beauty that we can't dismiss mm -hmm. um you know i think there is a reason why people stay so committed to their beauty routines even if they're really small during such difficult periods of life mm -hmm. and just moments of broader cultural upheaval whether it's war or you know something like we're going through now where it just feels like every day there's something to be just so sad and upset about. I think that really is for us as human beings a way to be with ourselves in such an intimate way where you're touching your own body. You're having mm -hmm. an experience in and with your body. Yeah, it's so powerful. And our bodies are so sensitive and wise. Like people talk about intuition a lot, which I of course talk about a lot. And to me it's a part of intuition is like connecting with your body in that way and learning and not just going so fast in life that you don't know how to read it and hear it, but actually taking those moments and saying like, okay, I'm gonna learn like what you do when you're not that happy with me and like what you do when I've like treated you really well and what do you do when you're nervous and you know, things like that, that all leads into our intuitive sensibility and being able to know our truth so much more. Yeah, and you bringing up Instagram, ugh. Well, Instagram, can be a lot of things and there are the moments that can happen like the one that happened to you and unfortunately we're in this place where we kind of have to accept that as normal which yeah. I just feel like is not normal it's yeah. not normal to just have to deal with people saying such cruel things and just like spewing abuse yeah. at you but I think it can also be an incredible place for sharing stories and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I know that you shared photos recently that you had literally been hiding for 17 years, right? Yeah, 17 right. years. So what were these photos and what did it feel like when you posted them? Yeah, so when I was 20, um, I was in India doing a treatment for acupuncture and it was like this really intensive treatment. I did acupuncture twice a day, six days a week for six months. It was one of the craziest things I've ever done to try to heal myself, right? And and I have a whole, a whole lot of thoughts about trying to force ourselves into healing. But during that time, um, my psoriasis really, it, a lot of times in these Eastern philosophies, your conditions get a lot worse before they get better. And so my psoriasis had already been all over my body, but this took it up extremely high to much, much, much worse. And we took pictures of it, and it was the worst that I had ever been. Um, you know, it was it was horrible, and it was really challenging. And it was basically like all of my shame in a photo. And it was also kind of like when I look at those pictures, I'm like, how the hell did you survive like 30 minutes like that? I can't believe I lived like that for 17 years of my life. Like, I just can't. And I, I decided to share them because of the, kind of what we started talking about together when we first started this episode is just that, like, I'm not the only one. I'm one person that's gone through that. But there are people who have been through way, way worse, way harder. And there are people that are going through something that maybe doesn't seem as hard, but that feels traumatizing to them. And I just felt like... I really want to help people. I really want to help those people. I wish someone made me feel less alone when I was going through that. And if I can try, and I, I had no idea how it was going to turn out. I was just kind of like, okay, I have this plan. 
and I'm going to share these photos and I'm going to launch a podcast and I'm going to try to talk about pain and I'm going to show I'm going to show my pain in a hope that it helps someone else with theirs and I was terrified again like we're constantly doing things that terrify us clearly and yeah and the response was really it was more than I could have ever imagined um just with people being like holy crap like I have photos like this that are for my worst time that I could never imagine sharing with people. Like now it makes me want to be more vulnerable. Or someone who had alopecia was like, this makes me want to go out without my wig. Alopecia is another autoimmune disease that removes all the hair from your body. And she was like, this makes me want to go out without my wig and, and not hide that I don't have hair on my head, you know, and things like that. And I was just like, okay, okay, we can do this. For these people, we can do this. But it was hard. Yeah. I admire so much that you did that because I think it was really a moment of true vulnerability. And I think that can be confusing in today's time. Were you at the, you were at the Brene Brown event. Yeah, that's where at the we wing. met. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Our crazy story yes. about meeting at the wing the day that my production manager, Christina, emailed you. Nitika was at the wing and I was standing in line for the Brene Brown event. And Nitika came over and she was like, are you Ingrid? And it was just this moment of like synchronicity. I know. Yeah. We both got so excited. It I was know. amazing. And I was like, I hope she doesn't think I'm a weirdo because I just got this email from her team and then you were like the most lovely. And I was just like, yeah, Yay. I know. I saw that as a sign of we were meant to know each other. Yeah. Same, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and we were at that event, which was like so crowded. Yeah. I really liked how she talked about oversharing versus vulnerability and you posting these pictures was a true moment of vulnerability because you knew exactly why you were doing it. You had been through a process with it. You'd had these for 17 years. And I think that distinction is really important because when she was like, sharing your bikini wax is not vulnerability. I think that is 100% the truth. Yeah, but I I wasn't sure, you know, like while I was doing part of what made me wait so long and part of what made me wait so long just to even talk about my health is because it was so sacred to me and I never wanted it to be gratuitous. You know, I Mm -hmm. never wanted to be like, feel sorry for me or like think I'm cool because I'm clearly strong or something like I didn't want that, you know. But it's such a fine line when you're like sharing your whole thing online and you're just like, okay, like, look at this. That is technically what you're doing, you know. But I was just like, how do I do this in a way that doesn't feel, like, I don't want that kind of a response. I don't want this to feel, to feed my ego. Mm -hmm. You know, and we all have them. So I was like, that girl needs to get, you know, (laughs) in charge. Like, I don't want her to be in charge. You know, we need to make sure. And I didn't have a ton of faith that I knew how to do that until I posted those pictures. And even when I posted them, I honestly, that was like one of the times that I was still a little nervous, like, I hope I'm not coming from a place of ego and sharing these because that's not what I that's not at all what I think I want to be sharing them from but I also knew that they were really bold and I knew that they were really going to kind of make an impact I guess or whatever in in whatever way I was going to and I just don't know that you always know you know as long as you're doing your best job and trying to be intentional I think that's all you can do but I was nervous about that yeah and I think What I've noticed when I've posted things that are really stemming from ego or what I think I should be doing, I'm not really that sad if it doesn't perform well. Mm. And I think that's the difference. You know, when she was talking about the feeling of like, oh, I'm fucked if this does well, (laughs) but then I'm sad if it doesn't. I think that really is when you know that you are in the vulnerable Mm. space because it is so incredibly it's just really uncomfortable either way there's a part of you that doesn't want it to succeed but then if it a lot of people don't see it or connect with it Mm -hmm. then you're really sad about it because you feel like oh my gosh am I alone in this Mm -hmm. and I think she hit the nail on the head with describing that because I think about all the times where You know, I've shared something because I feel like, well, this is what I should be doing. And it doesn't perform in the way that I think it will. And I'm just like, well, you knew deep down that that wasn't really Mm -hmm. like what you wanted to be doing. You were doing what you felt like you should be doing. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, we talked a lot about Instagram when we hung out last week. I just feel so overwhelmed by it sometimes. It was actually wonderful to talk to you about it because I feel like you're so down to earth and grounded and it was so beautiful. I thought about it so much after our conversation because one of the things that you said to me was you said, you know, in real life, if you connect with one person – and you make an impact on them, it is so transformative and special and you really feel it. But online, we do not have those same principles. And if you don't connect with like 500,000 people or whatever your number is, you're not enough. And it really helped me so much because that is how I live my life. Like I just wanna help that one person. That's great. Like I feel wonderful if I'm able to help one person. But in the rat race of Instagram, I'm just like, nope, I'm not enough. This isn't enough. It's not okay. Whatever. I just feel like even since our talk, I feel so much better. And and in the conversation that you're saying around sharing what you really want to share and not sharing stuff that you think you should share and everything, I just feel like I've been working on aligning myself with making sure like every single thing I share. And I don't need to share anything if I'm not up for it. Mm -hmm. And I think that you gave me permission to do that last week, whether you know that or not. It was really helpful. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. Yeah. It is really incredible how social media and the internet can just distort what's actually important to us in our real physical lives. And that number is just such a shapeshifter. We can have that numerical goal, but it's always going to change and it's always going to be just out of reach. Like we're never going to get to that place where like, and this is where I feel 100% great. It's just not going to happen when we're constantly in pursuit of that. Yeah. So what's the next step for you? I'm actually creating a conference for the chronic illness industry. I don't know when this podcast is going to be out, if it's going to be out yet, but... It's, it's going to be amazing, and um, it's happening in October, and I'm really excited about it. I definitely want to be there. I can't wait to have you there. So every week I've been doing this thing where I try to write down my small victories for the week because I feel like it allows me to just give myself a pat on the back, and it encourages me to keep going when I am able to see the small things that I've done for myself throughout the week. So what's a small victory that you've had this last week? I figured out that some of the health stuff that I was going through this last year, um, I was feeling some imbalances and I couldn't figure it out for the longest time. I figured out that it was a vitamin D deficiency. And this feels really epic um, because it's changing. It's like changing my life. I was at like a level two energy wise, two or three for like a year. And I'm at like a level nine now. Oh, my God. Vitamin D. You don't even know. We could do a whole podcast on vitamin D. It's blowing my mind. Oh, my God. Can you give us like a <laughs> yeah, some bullet well, points? Okay, well, so especially if you have autoimmune diseases, but this is true for everyone. It definitely affects your energy. It causes excess weight gain. It also um, resists insulin, like your normal insulin production in your body. So like if you have diabetes or you're prone to it at all. And I was feeling this like blood sugar, blood pressure thing all the time and I couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, It creates hair loss and it's also the precursor vitamin for multiple hormonal uh, systems basically. So if your vitamin D is off, it kind of triggers other hormonal dysfunction it's insane. Whoa. And I and my doctor had told me about it a while ago, like, oh, you're a little low, whatever. I have so much other stuff going on. I was like, ah, oh, vitamin D. <laughs> you're like, I don't really need that. <laughs> Who needs vitamin D? It's fine. It's not a big deal. You know, I really didn't think it was a big deal. And I read this blog that just like, I forget even who the name of the person was. I was just researching one night and I found it out and I started the supplement and I feel so much better. So I'm so happy about that. That is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So vitamin D is important. Vitamin D is the business. You need to get on it if you think you have low energy. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. Now I'm going to be going down this, like, Google rabbit hole of vitamin D. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here, Nitika. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. So where can everyone find you online? Yeah, so the best place is on Instagram, at Nitika Chopra, as we talked about, only posting the real content and stuff that I really believe in. Also, if you're listening to podcasts like Ingrid, you might enjoy my podcast, which is called The Point of Pain. Yes, definitely go listen and subscribe. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who's out there listening. 
On next week's episode, I'm going to be reflecting on my own thoughts on accepting my body and letting go of the idea that we have to have control over it. I want to hear your feedback on this episode too. So you can leave me a voicemail at 551-333-9021 or you can send a voice note to onesteppodcast at gmail.com. What has your journey in your body been like so far and how has it changed for you? Also, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, especially because we are new here in podcast land. We are a little baby podcast and this really helps us. You can find One Step on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at One Step Podcast to stay up to date. Thank you so much to our producer, Christina Cleveland, our sound engineer and editor, Tung Chen, and our studio, the YouTube Space New York. I'm just going to say this for a couple more episodes, but... The YouTube space is open for free to anyone that has 10,000 or more subscribers. You can use the space for free. The podcast studio is free. All of the equipment is free. And I really want to say this because I think it's an amazing resource, especially because I know so many creators have podcasts or want to start a podcast and finding a place to record can be really difficult and expensive. And this is an awesome space. So just putting that out there. Take care and we'll talk soon.